Amen. So, last week we began a new series through the book of Nehemiah, and we're trying to to learn. Oh yeah, children's church, y'all. Always forget a new series through the church of Nehemiah, through the church, through the book of Nehemiah, um, uh, talking about rebuilding, and we're looking at principles. Amen. Amen. We're looking at principles from God's Word that I believe can be helpful to us during this season of our church as we look at merging with uh, liberty and developing uh, a, a vision of a new church to be a bright and burning lamp for Christ in this community. Um, and so we're just going to continue through that this morning. And today we're going to talk about rebuilding honesty and confidence. Rebuilding honesty and and confidence. But before we do, let's pray together one more time. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we just ask for your help now, Lord, to give us the mind of Christ, to help us think your thoughts after you, to, to learn from you and from your word and from the scriptures, to learn how to build something for you like Nehemiah did, do something for you, Take up a call to, to rebuild the, the walls as a testimony and a witness that you are still the God of your people, still the God of this church, and that you have plans that are good and true for us. So I pray you would help us, God, in this journey, and I pray you would help us today to have ears to hear what the Spirit speaks to the churches, and it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Uh, if you have a Bible, please turn to Nehemiah chapter 2. That's where we're going to be. I'm, 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 gonna, I'm, I'm preaching huge chunks, so we're not, we're not going to, um, it's not going to take too long to get through this book, but I think there are a lot of principles for us to learn. So, we're, we're looking at Nehemiah, we're looking at the lessons of how God can take something that time has broken down and rebuild it. And, um, as, as we look to do that in our church, last time we talked about, if you remember, last week we talked about brokenness in prayer. So when Nehemiah heard the condition of Jerusalem, it says that he fasted and wept and mourned for days, right? He was broken over the situation. And that brokenness, we said, was the first point of pain, that first point of pain where he felt in, in his heart that he said, Something, something's got to be done about this. And he didn't, he didn't, and he didn't wait for somebody else to do it, and he didn't say that was someone else's job, although he could have. He took it upon himself as the, as the, uh, uh, cupbearer to the king to be, to be the one to go and, uh, and rebuild this wall. And what's fascinating about this is, especially as you read through chapter two, when he shows up, like the people in Jerusalem don't even really know why he's there, right? He has to go and, and look at some things, and then he says, okay, here's why I came. And so he, so he has this call upon himself to do something about it, and he does. And then we also talked about prayer, right? He prayed for God to give him favor in the sight of King Artaxerxes. And we talked about last time how Artaxerxes surely thought that he was kind of the main character in the Persian story, not realizing uh, that he was really just a side character in God's story, that, that God, that Proverbs says that the heart of a king is like a stream of water in God's hand. He directs it wherever he wills. And so he prays, so Nehemiah prays to God 
and God gives him favor in the eyes of King Artaxerxes, who gives him who who uh, who allows him to go on this mission and gives him support from the royal treasury and and uh, and uh, to go back to Jerusalem to do this work. Okay, and so we talked about prayer and how and the importance of prayer. And so I'm just gonna, I'm going to keep saying this over and over, and I, I I even mentioned it in the the pastor's pen this week that if you haven't already, please begin to pray constantly, daily for our church. Pray for us that God would lead us and guide us and direct us and and grow us and and use us to be His witnesses. Pray for your lost friends and families and neighbors and acquaintances. Pray that God would use us to create a space where. That where Christ is exalted, where, where disciples are made, where Christians grow, where lost people come, and when they show up, they say, man, I don't even know if I believe this, but it seems to me like God is here. That's, that, that's, that's where the place we want to be, a place we want to create, a place we want to be part of. And we cannot let it be said of us that we did not have because we did not ask. So that's what, and so this week we're going to be talking about two other principles, honesty, and confidence, honesty and confidence. And we're going to see this first from Nehemiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. And so if you're able and willing, I invite you to stand and honor the reading of God's word. We're going to be begin reading in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 9. He says that I came to the governors of the province beyond the river, which is Judah, and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen, but when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that some that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, and a few men, and I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall. And I turned back and entered the, by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. <coughs> Excuse me. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper. And we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. The word of God you may be seated. Okay, so the first thing we're going to talk about this morning is honesty. We have Nehemiah. He took, he took courage. He asked the king. He fasted. He prayed. 
He spoke to the king about Jerusalem. God granted him favor in the eyes of the king. And so he makes the long trip, long and arduous trip from Babylon to Judah. Okay? And the question that we want to ask here is, when Nehemiah first gets there, what does he do? Okay, the Lord has burdened him to action. But now we must, we must ask the question, how do we begin? Where did Nehemiah begin? Where, where did he start in order to do what he believed God had called him to do? How do you begin the work of uh, so great a work as such as building a defensive wall around an entire city? Well, what he does is after resting for a few days, recovering from the journey, he gets up at night where nobody really knows what he's doing, and he goes and he inspects the walls. He examines the wall. I think what that means is that before you begin a work, you got to see what you're up against. You got to make your evaluations. You got to look at what's happening and what's going on and see the challenges that you can face, that you're going to face so that you know how to tackle them. <coughs> and so, you have to know what you're dealing with before you can deal with it. And so, I, I, I just, so I just think if we're, we're taking a, 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 something from Nehemiah's book here, and as we think about it as a church, we just need to take an honest look. And that's what we're saying. Take an honest look. Nehemiah had to take an honest look at the walls to see not uh, not what he wishes was there, but to see what really is there. Okay? And that's what we have to do, I believe, as a church. And so, and we've talked about this, so I don't, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but when we expect, when we inspect the walls and examine the walls of our church, what do we see? Well, here's what I see. I see a loving and generous church. A church that is really loving, really generous, especially to missions causes. I see a family. Okay, people who love and serve one another well. We have great community and fellowship among one another. We're financially blessed and in a financially blessed situation. And now we're in a situation where we have to consider how to best steward what we have at present. Uh, we have to consider what we have, how to best steward it for present faithfulness and for future growth. Okay? So I think that's the situation that we're in. Okay? And so we talked about the challenges that we face as a church a lot already. Okay? To just, you know, just look at reality and say, hey, look, unless God starts bringing us uh, some of the next generation, you know, 20 years from now, there's not going to be a whole lot left. Okay? And so we've talked about that a lot. And so we have to, we have to just look at that and examine that and be honest and ask, okay, God, what can we do to be faithful to you in our present situation so that 20, 30, 50, 100 years from now, by God's grace, okay, what we, what we are beginning with now will remain here. Now, of course, churches aren't, and just to be clear now, churches, churches aren't permanent, right? Uh, the, the church at Antioch in the New Testament, right, that you read about, guess what? It doesn't exist anymore. The kingdom of God remains forever. Individual churches may not. Okay, but the, the, the question is, is the legacy, right? The, the, what, what we're carrying forward with us, right? Is that going, is that going to, is that going to be sustained or like, like, frankly, lots of churches are right now, uh, in Dodge County for that matter and all over the United States just on the verge of closing their doors, right? And we have to, we have to be honest about that and say, how did they get to that situation? And how can we avoid that situation? Right? You know, <clears throat> most of you probably don't remember this, 
But back last November, when we voted to elect a committee to begin the expo- to begin the exploration process to make the recommendation about what we should do with our church, that same church conference, we voted to send away the letter of, at the time, the only other young couple in our church. And I say that not to draw needless attention, but I say that to say, to me, that was a parable. And lived out parable that we needed to change, that something needs to change. Because if we can't create a place where young people or young family wants to say, this is where I want to bring my family to church, we're just not, we won't survive, right? We just won't. And so we got to inspect the walls. We got to look at the reality, right? Not what we wish to see, but what really is there, okay? And so we have to examine the walls. Um, we've talked about this already, but the challenges that we face in the community are, 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 are large. And I think the, the, the big challenge that we face is a, is a cultural gap, right? The culture in this room right now is not the culture outside these walls. And I just think we have to face that reality, right? And, and, and so we have, we have to be honest. And when I say culture, you know, what do I mean by culture? Well, every place has a culture. And cultures can be better or worse. They can be, they can be healthier or less healthy. Think about a family, right? You can have a healthy culture in a family, right? People are loving one another and supportive of one another. You can also have an unhealthy culture within a family. Disharmony, butting heads, hardship, uh, uh, not seeing eye to eye. You can have a, you can, there's a culture at a workplace. You've worked at places before. Maybe you've had a, a, a job where there was a healthy culture. You had a good relationship with your boss. Uh, they supported you and, and, and that you felt like they made wise decisions and they gave you the tools you needed to do to do your job and they supported you and it was healthy culture. Maybe you've been at a workplace where there was a bad culture. All right. And, um, you, you know, and people, you know, people were lazy or their boss didn't do his job or didn't help you out or constantly button heads or you had to walk on eggshells. OK, and stuff like that. And you've been in those situations. All right. And not just that, but some cultures are going to appeal to different people. Right. You have a culture and we feel we feel we like we like the culture that we like. We like the we like things that appeal to us. Right. But what appeals to us might not appeal to other people. And so a few sermons back when I preached on that passage where Paul says that he becomes all things to all people, that by all means we might save some. Right. We do have to think about, like, what is our culture communicating? And how can we create a place that's going to, that's going to feel at home to the people that we want to try to reach? All right. And that's what, that's what I said before. Like, we just have to be honest and say, I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people would come and they would say, man, I think they would, I think they would say this. I'd say, those are really nice people. You know, I, I think what they got going on is a good thing, and that seems good for them. But I think sometimes they would say, but it's not for me. Thank you, brother. This pollen, y'all, just gets straight to my throat. So, so I, think, I think people would say, I think people would say, man, that's good for them, but it's not for me. It, just doesn't, it doesn't feel at home, right? And so I just think we have to think about that. We have to have a missiological mindset, right? We, we talked about that. We have to, we have to learn people's language. If we were going to overseas country and tried to, to reach their people, what would we do? Well, the first thing we would do is learn the language, 
right? We would learn how they speak. We would learn how they communicate. And all the great missionaries of the past, what else did they do? Well, they wore, they wore the clothes of the natives because they wanted to say, they wanted, they wanted to say, hey, the gospel doesn't, I mean, the gospel changes lots of things, but doesn't necessarily change everything, right? And so in other words, you don't have to give up your identity, like we talked about Lottie Moon, right? She, she dressed in Chinese. She spoke Chinese. She, she enacted some of the customs that were okay to enact. And, you know, not every culture is perfect, so she didn't do everything they did. But she, she, she basically came and said, hey, look, you don't have to stop being Chinese to become a Christian. Right? Well, what we want to do is we want to tell people, you know, we want to be able to create a place where we can speak people's language. Right? To where we, to where, you know, cause if, if you go up, you know, there's a, there's an unnamed religion that knocks on your doors where these teenage boys come up in suit and tie, right? You know what I'm talking about? And they knock on your door, right? You know? And it would be, and they all dress the same. And you would think, okay, well, maybe to be, maybe to be that, I have to wear a coat and tie, right? And there could be some confusion there, right? And so we, we, we need to speak people's language, okay? And everything, and everything speaks, right? Everything speaks. You know, you ever walked in, y'all ever heard of the store Hollister? It's a clothing store, you go in a big mall. You ever walked into a Hollister? It's like, bam! The, the smell, they spray the whole place down with their perfume or their cologne. And you walk in, it's like, bah! You just get hit in the face with like sandalwood smell, you know? You're just like, whoa! You know, where am I? Why do they do that? Why do they do that? Because it's the whole experience, it's the whole culture. When you walk in, you, it makes you feel like you stepped into, you know, a, a, a California surf shop. And that's what they want you to think. They want, they want you to feel that way because they want you to buy their cool, hip-looking, shredded clothes that you pay $100 for, right? And so, like, that's what they want, right? And so, what is it? The smell speaks. The lighting speaks. The, the decoration speaks. The clothes people are wearing, you know, if you work in Hollister, you wear Hollister clothes. The clothing speaks. Everything speaks. Everything's communicating something, right? Everything's communicating something. And so we, what we, all I'm saying is that we have to sit back and think, what, what are we speaking without even knowing that we're speaking? What are we saying without even knowing that we're saying? And how can we learn to speak other people's languages so that, so that they, so that we don't put unnecessary stumbling blocks so that they can hear what we're trying to say? And so, so again, again, to take the extreme case, right? When you go, if a missionary goes overseas, we don't go over there and say, hey, you gotta learn English so I can share the gospel with you. That's not how it works. So we can't, so, so what we should do is, we shouldn't say, we shouldn't say, hey, you should have to like what we like so you can come to church here. Right? We should say, we should say, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna bend to create a space that is going to be amenable to you so that you'll be, so that you can hear the gospel in, in the way, in, in, uh, uh, in a way that you can hear it. Okay? Again, it's hard work. It doesn't mean everything's on the table. Everything's not on the table. There's things that can change. There's things that can't change. But it's something that we should think about and work hard at doing. Okay? To say, how can we reach the next generation for Christ? Because that, that's what it's about, right? Make disciples of all nations, right? The reason why we at Continental Baptist Church are here today in 2022 is because for 2,000 years, the church has made disciples. On and on and on, right? And, and so we have, our mission is to be part of that. Okay? To be part of that. To make disciples of the next generation. 
And I think, and I, I know that God can do it and is going to do it. We got to inspect the walls and see what's there. There's another thing that I want to mention about this. And that is when we're thinking about, many of you went to go see um, Liberty uh, last Sunday. And, um, you know, again, people may have different opinions. I just tell you my opinion. The first time I saw it, I was just blown away with the potential that is there. I just think there's just so much potential. And so, and so one thing that we need to think about and be and we're talking about honesty, right? We need to be honest and say, okay, look, what are some of the challenges that we're going to face there? Because I told, I told, I said this in the in the original presentation and in the FAQ document, which you all promised to read very carefully. I said that going over there was not going to be a silver bullet that's going to that's going to save us money. Right? I said that. There are challenges in that facility that's going to involve investment, okay? And so, and so we need to be honest about that, all right? I'm, I'm just going to lay my cards here out on the table. My beliefs are if we're going to go and we're going to, if we're going to start a new church, we need to be willing to invest a good bit of money to make it look like a nice new facility, Clean, nice looking, elegant. When you when you're driving down the road on the interstate, who here stops at those shady looking gas stations in the middle of nowhere? No, okay, one person. Okay, <laughs> who stops at uh, Bucky's? You stop at the nice, clean, sharp looking place where you know that you're not going to get jacked. And, and, and you can get some gas, right? Because what? Because it makes a difference, right? Because it makes a difference. And so I think we should, so I'm just, I'm just laying it, I'm trying to be honest, okay? There's, that, that facility has needs and I think we should be willing to create a nice, attractive looking place that people can say, man, they, they care about this place, right? You ladies, do you clean your house before somebody comes over? Most of the time. Why? Because you just don't want them to show up and it just looks like a mess, right? Because it says something, right? And so, and so, I think we should, I think we should be honest about that, okay? So that's just something I also want to point out as we think about the future. So number one, rebuilding requires an honest assessment of the situation. And then number two here, rebuilding demands confidence in God's provision. Rebuilding demands confidence in God's provision. Those are the last two verses there of chapter two, right? It says, when Sanballat and, and the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite, the servant, uh, uh, the Ammonite servant and Geshem, the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Okay. So, so Nehemiah has made his assessment. He has looked at the situation, okay? And he, he hadn't really even told anybody what's going on yet. But he says, now this is our time. This is our chance. So he goes and he says, hey, look, this is why I came. This is what, this is, this is the purpose that I'm here. This is our time. Let's rise up and do this thing. All right? And, and when he does that, what's the first thing that happens? So people stand up and say, hey, what are you doing? All right? What are you doing? Right? And so, and so, and we're gonna talk about that later. (laughs) But, what I wanna focus on right here 
is that despite their opposition, what Nehemiah saying? They, initially, they thought he was rebelling against the king, which that was just a farce, right? But, you know, building the walls, right, meant security. It meant safety, right? And so, and so, you know, it would be, it would be a believable lie, a believable slander, right? Because it means they, they would, might be rebelling against the king and want to fortify Jerusalem against attack. But that's clearly not what they were doing. But how does Nehemiah respond? He said, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. So I just want you to think about what Nehemiah says right there. The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build. In other words, Nehemiah did what he was doing because he believed that God was in it. And that God was behind it. And that God was going to make him prosper. Right? And that's what it takes, right? When Peter said, hey, Jesus, tell me to come out on the water. What he what he needed was a command from Jesus because that command gave him confidence, confidence that, hey, if I really step on out on the boat, Jesus is really going to make this water hold me up because he's the one who told me to do it. Right. So when we have confidence, we'll step out in faith. Right. And that's what we have to do. Right. Because if we don't have confidence in God, if we don't have confidence in God, we'll spend our whole lives doing things that only we can do. We we'll spend our whole lives doing things that only we can do, which is not a whole lot. Right? But when we have confidence in God, we will step out and we'll take risks to try to do things that are beyond human capacity. Because we not because we believe we are great, but because we believe God is great and that God is in it. And I just I'm just going to keep saying it. Right. What? What we are trying to do is humanly impossible. I'm just going to keep saying that till we all believe it, till we all really get on our faces and start asking God for help, because I'm telling you, what we're trying to do is humanly impossible. Okay? I know that for a fact because the normal work that God has called us to do is humanly impossible. Go make disciples of all nations. Well, who can do that? Only God can do that, right? But He can do that through us. Right. So if we're sure that this is what God is asking of us, we don't have to be afraid. We can have full and 100 percent confidence, just like Nehemiah said, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we, his servants, will rise up and build. And we can have that confidence that we will be successful, not because we are great, but because God is great. And because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so we can have confidence, church, not in ourselves, but in God who goes with us and who goes before us. And so my question is, here's the question for us. Do we really believe that God can use us by his power and by his grace to create a place that's overflowing with babies, kids, teenagers, young adults who who want to know, love, serve God, worship him and make him known? Do we believe God can do that? Do you believe God can do that? Yes. Do you? Yes. God created the universe with a word. What we're asking him to do is small. It's huge for us, but it's small for God. He's done a billion things harder than this. 
but all of it's too hard for us. But God can do it. And I believe, and I think, and I think we as a whole, as a church, believe that. I think the vote signaled that. That we believe this is what God is calling us to do, and that we believe God is going to do it. You know, in the, in the book of Ezekiel, in Ezekiel, in chapter 37, this is what it says. You're familiar with this passage. It says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were many, very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, there were, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Oh, Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. Can dry bones live? God knows. All it takes for him, all it takes for God is for him to breathe. That's it. Ezekiel, Ezekiel, so what? He told Ezekiel to prophesy to the bones, right? So that's interesting, isn't it? God could have just done it himself, but no. He said, no, Ezekiel, you do it. You tell the bones to live by my authority. And so he told Ezekiel to do that. Ezekiel spoke and they came to life. And I think that's just the principle that God uses means to accomplish his ends. Can dry bones live? Yes. And guess what, Ezekiel? I'm going to use you to do it. Can God do more than we could possibly ask or imagine with or through this church? Yes. But guess what? He's going to use you to do it. But when the breath of God, y'all know in Hebrew, the same, the same word for breath is the same word for spirit. When the breath of God blows, when the Spirit of God blows, things come to life. Things wake up. Things grow. Things come alive. Our confidence in God spurs us on to the work. We just have to believe it. You know, I'm just, you know, this is probably the hard, I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm, a, I'm trying, I, I think about the future, I anticipate the future. This, you know, from my limited human perspective, this might be the hardest thing this church ever does. This will probably be the hardest thing I ever do in ministry. That we'll ever do as a church. This is not going to be easy. It will be wearying emotionally, spiritually, even physically. Okay? We've got to be honest, right? We'll take hits and blows. We'll have to make sacrifices. Right? You know? But the question is, is if, if we believe this is what God is calling us to do, then we can say with Nehemiah, the God of heaven will make us prosper. The joy of the Lord will be our strength. So what do we see? Rebuilding requires an honest assessment of the situation. Number two, rebuilding requires, demands confidence in God's provision. As I've said before, I really believe God is in this. I really believe God is in this. If if He wasn't, I don't think we would. I don't think we would have even made it this far, to be honest with you. 
And so I'm excited and hopeful about the future and what the future holds. And so the call, I think, is us to pray, to, to, to seek the Lord, and to seek Him do what only He can do, and, um, and just trust Him with it. You know, let's just trust Him with it. You know, if God is for us, who can be against us? Um, and let's just, let's just take one, let's just walk, let's just take one step at a time. And see what God could do. I'm excited. I'm hopeful. I hope you are too. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Um, we look to you as a church. All of this is possible, God. All of this is possible. Because of what you have done for us, Lord Jesus. You came. You died. For our sins. You rose from the dead. You ascended into heaven. You reign right now, Lord Jesus, from on high. You are working all things out for our good and for your glory. The book of Revelation, Jesus says, you walk among the lampstands. And Lord, you wrote letters to seven specific churches because you had something you wanted to say to them. And because you care about your churches. And Lord Jesus, we're humbled to think that you care about us. You care about this body of believers right here. You want us to be faithful to you. You want us to stand true to our first love. You want us to be a bright and burning lamp for you. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to do that. Help us to discern the leadership of your spirit. Help us to be the people who have been called out of darkness into your marvelous Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for rising from the dead. Thank you for giving us the hope of eternal life. Help us to live in light of that resurrection power. And Lord Jesus, I pray that maybe somebody listening today, Lord, all this talk about the church means nothing to them because they don't even know you. I pray that they would see that the same spirit that is in us could be in them could be in them, God, to use them in ways that they've never considered before. So I pray that your spirit would draw people to you this morning. And it's in Christ's name we pray.